How are you doing? I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi, my name is Bailey Sarian and on Mondays, I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin. Noggin. And I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button because I'm here for you on Mondays. Today's story, it's um, it's gonna raise your blood pressure. <laughs> it's so stressful. I, I didn't like know, look, Natalie Holloway. I'm sure you're aware, like if you're over the age of 30, I think. I don't know. You probably know Natalie Holloway. We first learned about her disappearance in 2005 and then she just kind of became like this household name. I mean, everyone like heard about this story. It was everywhere. You couldn't avoid it. It felt like everybody was looking for her and she was a topic on everyone's minds. And then things would quiet down for a little bit and then her name would pop up again. And it was like this giant mystery as to what happened to her, right? For me, I was kind of like looking into this like, yeah, what did happen? Did What did happen? I had no idea what really happened. Um, but let me tell you the story. Again, it's probably gonna raise your blood pressure. And there's so many layers to this damn story that for time purposes, I cut out some of the stuff I felt like didn't apply to the overall story, if that makes sense. So just know that I'm kind of giving like the meat of it and not the meat and potatoes. Do you get what I'm saying? There's just a lot, there's a lot. Okay, so let's get into today's story about Natalie Holloway. So who was Natalie Holloway, you ask? Well, Natalie, she was born Natalie Ann Holloway, and she was born October 21st, 1986 in Memphis, Tennessee. Her dad, his name is Dave, he was an insurance agent for State Farm, and her mother, her name's Beth, she worked in education. Natalie also had a younger brother named Matthew, and their parents ended up getting divorced in 1993, and the two of them, the two kids, they went to go live with their mom. I don't know where their dad went, but yeah. So they go, they live with her mom, great. So then in 2000, their mom, she ended up getting remarried to a guy named George. I know, George. And um, George was like some big wig, big deal businessman in Alabama. So he was like doing very well for himself, okay. So after Natalie's mom got married, they moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama, which is like a really well off suburb of Birmingham. So I hear, you know? So when they moved the kids, they had to like start, they switched schools, which really sucked, you know, especially when you're a teenager and you already made all your friends and stuff and switching school, that sucks, but it happened. And Natalie ended up attending Mountain Brook High School. Okay, so Natalie, it was said that she was, you know, a very sweet young lady. She was beautiful. She was really involved in activities at school like the National Honor Society and the school dance squad. You know, it was said that when she walked into a room, she lit up the room and you know what? She probably did. It's just why, it's just how we describe everybody, huh? But on top of all that, Miss Natalie, she was super smart. Okay, Miss Natalie? She was very smart. She was accepted to the University of Alabama with a full scholarship as a pre-med student. Okay, knowledge. 
Knowledge. So on May 24th, 2005, Natalie, she was now 18 years old and she's graduating from Mountain Brook High School and she's going to head to the University of Alabama. But first, but first, she has a five day graduation trip to Aruba planned. I know. I was like, where's Aruba? First of all, and if you don't know, Aruba, it's like a, it's a Dutch island in the Caribbean. It's off the coast of Venezuela, Venezuela, Venezuela. They have a slogan for their island. It's called One Happy Island. And it's absolutely gorgeous based off of the Google images I saw. So Natalie and a group of her friends are headed to Aruba for this kind of unofficial graduation trip. And it's with 124 fellow students, fellow graduates which is, so it's like, it was like through the school, but it's like not through the school, you know, but that's cool. I mean, I got to go to the Cheesecake Factory when I graduated, so good for them, Aruba. Wow. So on this trip, there were gonna be seven chaperones there. This wasn't like a class field trip to the zoo or a museum. It was definitely more vacation, you know, where the kids were being treated more like adults and they gave them a lot more freedom. So the chaperones were not monitoring the kids, the group of kids throughout the day, but they did have daily check-ins to make sure that everyone's good, everyone's safe. You know what I'm saying? Well, based off of what I was reading, it seemed like these kids had a mighty fine time on their trip. In fact, these kids were just going wild. But I mean, think about it. You're 18, you're um, in Aruba, you're, on a, you're partying, you're drinking because they have a lower drinking age there. You think you're not gonna drink, you're dumb. You're gonna drink, of course, you know? Partying, drinking, there's lots of sexual relations happening. They're doing what kids are doing. Um, I guess it got so crazy that in fact, the uh, hotel they were staying at was the Holiday Inn. They told the school like, you cannot come back for the next year's graduation trip. It's just been chaotic. They've been crazy. Natalie's there, she's like living her best life. She's enjoying the freedom, the lower drinking age with all the rest of her friends. Natalie's friends said that every morning she started drinking like different cocktails and um, everyone was getting wild on this trip, but Natalie's drinking was a bit more than everybody else, but that they, you know, were just having fun. I don't wanna like point the finger at her, like she's just drinking a lot, cause I'm sure everybody's drinking a lot, but. That's just what was said. So all of them were scheduled to fly back home on Monday, May 30th. Um, so the night before they fly home, you know, they're all going out for one last hurrah. Hurrah. Let's celebrate one last night. Great. So they do. Natalie, she got she got dressed up in like a blue denim skirt. She's wearing a cute multicolored halter top and some black flip-flops. Then um, her and her friends, they went to the casino, which was like right next to the hotel. Um, so they head over there. I guess while there, Natalie played blackjack. Uh, she drank some and she just seemed to be having a really great time. While she's at the casino, she meets this 17-year-old kid. His name is Johan. Johan van der Sloot? Yes, so he was a Dutch honor student and he was living in Aruba and studying at the international school in Aruba. Um, it was said that he's like very good looking. He had like an athletic build and Natalie just seemed to, you know, be enjoying his company. They just like were talking with one another and I don't know, her friends weren't disturbing it. You know what I'm saying? They were letting her do her thing. So the group, they're all hanging out at the casino and then they decide, hey, let's go to this nightclub. It's called Carlos and Charlie's nightclub or something like that. Let's go there and like finish out our last night in Aruba. They go there and at 1.30 a.m. 
friends saw Natalie getting into a silver Honda and leaving the club with Yoan and his two South American friends, the Calpo brothers, Deepak and Satish. Satish is 18 and Deepak, who's the owner of the, the car, the silver Honda, he's 21 and they're brothers and friends with Yoan. So she, friends, spot Natalie leaving with the three of them. Um, slash makeup. So the night goes by and then it's the next day. Later that morning, everyone is in the hotel lobby and they're waiting to be taken to the airport. Everyone's there with their luggage and whatnot. And the friends notice that Natalie isn't there. You know, they're like, where the hell is Natalie? And they're thinking she probably just slept in, probably through her like alarm. We should just go check her room and see where she's at. So they go up to her hotel room and they get in the door and they see that Natalie's luggage and stuff is all packed. And also her passport is out like on the table, but Natalie, Natalie wasn't there. So they look around the hotel, no sign of Natalie. They're like, where is she? Who was the last one who saw her? And they're kind of like realizing the last time anyone saw her was getting into a car with three guys. Not good, right? When Natalie is nowhere to be found, one of the chaperones calls Natalie's mom and her stepdad and lets them know like, we can't find her, which I'm sure not a great phone call to receive. So immediately the mom and stepfather, they got onto like a private jet, yeah, with some of their friends and like they head out to Aruba in hopes to locate their daughter. As soon as they land, the first thing they do is they head straight to the Holiday Inn where Natalie and the, all the kids from the trip were staying. And the hotel night manager was able to pull up surveillance uh, videotape that showed part of the casino area as well. And I guess it was shown on tape, um, Yoan and Natalie. I'm not sure though, because I kind of read two conflicting things. One said it was just Yoan and like the boys. And another one said it was like Yoan and Natalie getting into the car, but I'm not sure because I couldn't get a clear answer here. But what we do know is that the night manager recognized this Yoan guy. And he's like, that's, I know him. Like that's Yoan. And so, with this information, Natalie's parents, they go straight to the police. They tell the police that her daughter's missing and they need to start with this dude, Yoan, because they come on videotape. That's where we gotta start. So at least they have like somewhere to start, right? Jeez, like where would you start? I don't even know. After they tell the police what's going on, Natalie's parents, their friends, and two police officers head to Yoan's house to look for Natalie. At first, they noticed that Yoan was a little sketchy Okay, they knock on the door, knock, knock, knock. Yuan's like, hello, who's there? And it's the police. Hi, we have some questions. And they're like, hey, we saw on videotape or it was said that you were the last person seen with this girl, Natalie. Can you tell us like, can you tell us what happened? And when he answers the questions, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I know her, but I didn't know her name. And I guess the one of the Kopak brothers, other name? Yeah, his name was Deepak. He walks into the room, right? He's like, who are you talking to? To Yoan. And he listens in and starts to correct Yoan. He's like, no, 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 remember? Remember? We were hanging out with her at the club and she wanted to go see sharks. Remember? 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 And uh, we took her to the beach. We took her to the beach, we dropped her off. 
um, at our hotel at around 2 a.m. And then Yoan chimes in with like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, she fell out of her car. I tried to help her up, but she wouldn't let me. So, I mean, weird vibes, you know, it was like, hmm, okay. And then Yoan adds one more piece to the story. He's like, yeah, I remember uh, driving away and I looked back and I saw a guy in a black shirt come up to her and start talking to her and he looked like a security guard. That's it. Okay, great. Naturally, Yoan is like um, setting off all the red flags. People are like, dude, he knows what's up. We just have to like link him to it, right? Like, where is she? Immediately when Natalie was reported missing, there was like a giant search and rescue effort that again, immediately started. There were hundreds of volunteers from both Aruba and around the United States that came out to help. And during the first days of the search, the, the Aruban government actually gave thousands of civil servants the day off so they could participate in helping search for Natalie. Yeah, insane. Then on top of that, 50 Dutch Marines searched the entire shoreline and they also had divers searching the ocean for her body. I mean, if Natalie was anywhere on or around that island, they were going to find her, okay? So then Natalie's parents, they um, offer a $175,000 reward for her safe return. And they're uh, also raised like 50,000 extra dollars um, by donors to help with her return. So a lot of money and a lot of people looking. And at this point, the, the hunt for Natalie was getting a lot of media attention and the world, or at least I, I could say us in the United States were following this story heavily. You could not avoid it anywhere on TV, papers, whatever. It was everywhere. Now, of course they, not of course, well, yeah, duh. But of course you didn't like hear about this more, but there was like a lot of backlash as well. There were many who argued the reason uh, this case was getting so much attention was because a pretty blonde white woman was missing, which we have seen time and time again, it's very much true. And had a person of color been missing, who knows if the story would have made as many headlines, let alone if someone from the island was missing, they wouldn't shut it down and allow everybody to search for them. Like it just, it wasn't, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't, I don't want to say it's not, it's not fair. Like you, you understand, you get it. I mean, their feelings are definitely valid here. Okay. So some people were just upset with how much effort was going into this. And it's like, Hey, if I went missing, Aruba wouldn't be searching for me like this. Like this is really, okay. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't still search. It's just, can we have the same for everybody? That's all. So then it starts getting real funky fresh. On June 5th, it's six days after Natalie had disappeared, there's two arrests that were made. So two former security guards at a nearby hotel were arrested on suspicions of murder and kidnapping. Now there were rumors going around that these guys would cruise hotels to pick up women. Rumors. Police never disclosed the reason for their suspicions of these two. But on June 13th, they would end up both being released without any charges. Meanwhile, on June 9th, Yoan and the two Calpo brothers were also arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and murdering Natalie. Since the very start, police were keeping a very close eye on these three guys because, hello, they had good reason. Last ones to be seen with her and act acting all sorts of weird. 
So they were under constant surveillance. The police even put wiretaps on their phones and were monitoring their emails. A Rubin law allows for investigators to arrest someone based on suspicion alone. So they, it, they're like, hey, we think you did it. They can arrest you and put you in jail. And then in order to actually keep you in jail, they have a certain time limit to produce uh, evidence to prove that they are linked to this crime and then they will be charged formally. That's why moving forward, you're gonna hear a bunch of people just getting arrested. <laughs> they just arrest everybody and then they let them go. It's just such a freaking mess. It's a mess, but that's how it works out there. Well, at the time, at this time. So then miscommunication just takes over. I don't know how this turns into such a mess, but it most certainly does. You see on June 11th, a spokesman for the Aruban Minister of Justice makes a statement to the press saying that Natalie was confirmed dead and that authorities knew where her body was. So this was announced. Obviously the media goes wild. Who, what, when, how, where, uh, you know, all of it, trying to figure out where. Not long after that, the spokesman comes back and was like, oh, LOL. Whoopsie, you know, I accidentally told you guys the wrong information. Yes, so the spokesman makes another statement and he's like, yeah, I was a victim of a misinformation campaign. Whatever that means, like no one really even knew what that meant, but that's what he said. Okay, great. And then people were just really confused. So, huh? Mm-hmm, great. Time goes on, later that night, one of the lead investigators on the case went to the media and told them that they had gotten a confession from one of the suspects that they had admitted something bad happened to Natalie on the beach and the suspect was going to take officers to the scene of the crime. I mean, it's a lead investigator on the case. So when he goes to media and tells them this, they, of course they're gonna believe him, right? Of course, and they're gonna report on it the next day, put it in the press, whatever. So they do just that, right? Okay, well, the next morning, investigators on the case make a statement, again, to the public, like, we can't confirm or deny what anyone else said, but um, we're at a very crucial and very important moment in the case. That's their statement, so again, People were like, what does this all mean? Like, what, what is going on? Which like, if the lead investigator says that though, kind of just had like, hello, a light bulb moment. Maybe it is true. Maybe they did like, cause later on there's a theory that they did know. And I don't know, actually, let me not get ahead of myself. Five days later on June 17th, there is like this party boat DJ, his name's Steve. So he gets arrested in the relation to Natalie's disappearance. Yeah party DJ arrested. Media's reporting on it. People are losing their shit. And then five days later, Yoan, Yoan's father was arrested by police. There was no word as to like why these two had been connected to her disappearance, but it didn't last long because both Yoan's dad and the party boat DJ were released. Now, um, Yoan and the Calpo brothers, they remain the prime suspects in the case and police end up questioning them numerous times, okay? And each time they question them, they are giving different stories as what happened that night. Like they could not keep their stories straight. At first, they all agreed that Yoan and Natalie were dropped off at the beach to see the sharks. Yoan then says that he left Natalie on the beach, but didn't hurt her. 
And then the Calpo brothers lawyer said that Yoan called Deepak to say that he was going to walk home and then texted Deepak 40 minutes later. But then Yoan says, no, uh, he was dropped off at home by the Calpo brothers while Natalie was still in the car. Does any of this make sense? No, it doesn't. Police like don't know. They don't believe these stories. Okay. Because uh, none of it makes any sense. And it, they keep flip-flopping. And they were kind of believing, police were kind of believing that Yawan was probably lying to try and get back at the Calpo brothers for accusing him in the first place. So now he's like pointing the finger back at them or like making them involved. So it's just turning into a shit show, a pure shit show. So all three suspects appear before a judge for a hearing. And I guess the judge had um, agreed with the police that the Calpo brothers weren't involved because on July 4th, they were released, but Yoan was still detained. He was still being held in jail. So after the Calpo brothers were released on July 5th, Natalie's parents spoke at a press conference begging the people to continue helping in the efforts of finding their daughter. So during the press conference, Natalie's mom said, two suspects were released yesterday who were involved in a violent crime against my daughter. Help me by not allowing these two to get away with this crime. So she's like accusing them of being involved, right? And she's saying this to the media. Well, after that conference, Natalie's mom said that she felt like things had kind of shifted, like people were now turning against her. At first, you know, they were all together trying to help, trying to help find Natalie. And then after this conference and after she, Natalie's mother called some of their citizens criminals, things kind of felt different. Hmm, I wonder why, you know, like she's accusing the Calpo brothers. People didn't like that. You can't just like make a claim like that, ma'am. You know, like we get it. You want to find your daughter, but they bad vibes. So now Natalie's mom felt like, okay, people weren't on her side anymore. I mean, do you blame them? You can't just go somewhere and be like, yeah, they did it. They did it, harass them. She had like no proof. After two months of searching with still no answers, the reward was increased from $200,000 to one, no, how much, a million? A million dollars with a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the location of Natalie's remains. You know, money gets people talking for sure, especially a million dollars. Yes, people are gonna start talking. So of course, people are coming forward um, and giving different accounts. There were, uh, there were a bunch and they all ended up in dead ends. So I, there's no reason to like go into every single one, but they were all dead ends. There was this one guy, a man came forward saying that while he was jogging, he saw some men bearing a blonde haired woman in a landfill that afternoon on May 30th. So he comes forward like, I think that's what I saw. So police are like, well, we already searched the landfill after Natalie had disappeared and found nothing. But after this jogger had come forward and like he just seemed credible, they uh, figured, you know, let's search the landfill again, just to be sure. This time the FBI came out and joined them in the search. They even brought the, uh, the cadaver dogs, you know, to help. They would end up searching this landfill three more times, but nothing was found. It was just a dead end after dead end. It's just kind of weird. Like if you saw someone burying a blonde hair girl while you're on a jog, wouldn't you say something or no? Is that just, I, wouldn't you say something? 
not to them, just like to Malik. Be like, yeah, I just saw some weird shit going down. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe they're just like minding their own business. Beep, 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 beep. So another Ted end. Well, the Calpo brothers, they would be arrested again, okay? But they were arrested this time on another crime. It was like the Calpo brothers had another friend who did some shady shit and the Calpo brothers were associated with that shady shit. So he, they were arrested again. But because of this, the police were hoping they could get some kind of confession from the Calpo brothers. You know, now that they have a reason to actually hold them in jail. So they're talking to them, trying to get something and they couldn't get anything out of the Calpo brothers and they ended up walking free. So Natalie's mom is obviously, she's exhausted. She's tried everything, right? These people are getting arrested, then they're getting released, they're getting arrested and released. It's just a lot. So she's like, you know what? Like I, I have to leave Aruba and I need to go back home, but I'm not giving up. So she heads back home and she decides to take like matters into her own hands. So she continues talking to media. She's making tons of appearances in hopes that, you know, she can keep her daughter's name out there in the press and will keep the pressure on the authorities to solve the case. And her plan seemed to be working. I mean, the story was dominating headlines around the world. And it was said that at the time, Natalie's mom was doing up to a dozen interviews a day. I mean, you remember, you could, it was everywhere. So she did it, she did it, mm-hmm. So then enter to the scene, Dr. Phil. Yeah, and honestly, in my personal opinion, Dr. Phil or his team, they suck ass. They suck ass. Because let me tell you what happened. It's pretty messed up. So Natalie's mom, again, making her rounds on, you know, doing different interviews and whatnot. So she goes on the Dr. Phil show in 2005. And on the Dr. Phil show, they're like, we have this hidden camera interview where the one of the Calpo brothers Deepak he basically confirms that Natalie had sex with all three guys and we have it the footage live on Dr. Phil you know so they're promoting this great now once the media gets wind of this tape they are pretty much harassing a Reuben authorities to once again make an arrest okay people are losing their shit because this hidden camera footage makes it seem like that's what he's saying and they play it on tv and it's just a mess okay so you're probably wondering well you know what does that mean well then then the tape that was shown on the dr phil episode was not exactly the whole tape Okay, so the Aruban Police Department found the footage. They found this footage that the Dr. Phil show used and they ended up releasing the longer version of the tape. The longer version was unedited and Deepak's responses were way different than what was shown on the Dr. Phil show. Shady, shady, shady. Doing some shady shit for views. So on this hidden camera footage, Deepak was asked if Natalie had engaged in sexual relations with the three men. And he shook his head and said, no, she didn't. So this confirmed to people that someone had edited those tapes that were shown on the Dr. Phil show because they made it look like he was confirming that they did. Shame. Rocketmoney.com slash makeup. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Shame. 
obviously this upset the Calpo brothers. Uh, they were extremely upset with what was shown on a Dr. Phil show. If they're guilty or not, like that was fucked up, right? Especially as shown on live TV and it was proven to be edited. So the Calpo brothers ended up filing slander and libel suit, which was set for trial in October, 2011. But then it got moved to like April, 2015. I couldn't find details about like how it all played out for them, but I figured that the show either paid them, they paid them off or maybe they won their suit. I don't know, but that's fucked up, Dr. Phil show. Natalie's mother wasn't giving up though. She was dedicating her life to find her daughter. I mean, you don't blame her. She just wants answers, she wants closure. She ends up doing a, an interview with Fox News. They go out to Yoan's parents' home, but without cameras. And I guess they're recording it in hopes to get a confession or just any more information. Natalie's mom thinks that the father knows a lot more than what he is leading on. And she's gonna try and go talk to him Maybe if they talk in person, she could get some kind of answer like without cameras and stuff, you know? So she goes, they sit down, the Fox interview lady is there too. I don't know. Uh, they both say the Fox interview lady and Natalie's mom is like, Yoan's father was sweating like something they have never seen before. She's like, I never seen someone sweat that much in my life. And even the Fox news reporter who was with her noticed that he was drenched in sweat and just looking all sorts of suspect. He was just acting a little weird, but no confession came from it, nothing. No new information, nothing. But Natalie's mother said that when she left the house, she felt like for sure he knew more than he was leading on, especially how sweaty he was. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. I feel like if it's your kid who's missing, you would do anything and everything to get answers and stuff. Cause naturally I wanna be like, well, maybe, what if he's not involved and she's just harassing the shit out of everyone? But again, if it was like your kid, I'm sure you'd be, who knows how we'd be acting, you know, probably doing the same thing. So Yoan, 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 he gets real chatty, okay? So he gets released from jail again after one of his numerous arrests. I don't even know what number we're on, but he was arrested and let go again. And he decides he's gonna start doing a bunch of interviews and give out his side of the story. And he does just that. So the one that got the most attention for him was one he did with Fox News in March of 2006. And during the interview, Yoan uh, said that Natalie tried to have sex with him, but he turned her down. He's like, no. And then he also said that Natalie tried to get him to stay on the beach with her, but he had to go to school in the morning, so he couldn't. Like, give me a break, come on. Then he said that he called one of the Calpo brothers to pick him up around 3 a.m., but Natalie insisted on staying at the beach alone. Now, remember in the beginning, they, the guys, they said that they dropped her off at her hotel before seeing a security guard approach her? Yeah. So during this interview, the interviewer asked Yoan, like, why did you say that then? Like, why is your story changing? You know, can you explain to us, the people? And Yoan said that he lied because he was too embarrassed to admit that he left a young woman alone on the beach in the middle of the night. And he was hoping that she was gonna turn up soon. And this whole thing was just gonna blow over. So that was his reasoning. And a lot of people were like, well, that kind of makes sense, you know? But he wanted to do these interviews to clear his name because he was being, um, his life was being ruined. 
So then in April of 2007, Yoan publishes a book about his side of the story and how everything went down um, the night of Natalie's disappearance and how the media frenzy uh, just destroyed his life afterwards. He does admit he initially lied and he apologizes for lying in this book, but he continues to insist that he's innocent. And honestly, you know, you kind of want to believe him sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. You want to believe him sometimes, but then you're like, dude, but it doesn't make sense. Like you were the last person to see her. Like what happened? But where is she? Because they searched up and down that island. Like where is she? So meanwhile, Yoan is doing all these interviews, right? He's like making his way around, writing a book. And the FBI and Arub Aruban authorities, they still are searching for Natalie. They haven't given up. They continue to search for her up until April of 2006, but they find nothing, nothing. So the police department at that point was running out of funding and they kind of didn't know what else to do. I mean, they tried everything. So they made a statement. The Reuben police commissioner makes a statement saying that he believed Natalie was not murdered. He believed that she probably died of alcohol or drug poisoning or maybe even both. And like someone must have, must have hit her body. Case solved. So many are thinking, you know what? Maybe she wasn't murdered. You know, maybe she, maybe that's true because a lot of her friends, Natalie's friends were saying that she was drinking a ton on this trip. And maybe she did get alcohol poisoning and maybe whoever she was with, it freaked them out and they hit her body. But if this was the case, if this did happen, it, it, a lot of the questions were like, well, where's the freaking, where's her body at? Because why is it so hard to find? They had searched up and down that island. They can't make that statement without having actual proof of it, you know? But that's what they're saying now, the police commissioner. So then on April 27th, 20 investigators end up going to Yoan's family's house in Aruba. I know, I mean, they're trying, they're trying a lot. They're trying very hard. And uh, so they go out to his family's house and they just swarm the place, searching the yards or digging up everything. They're just going through everything, using shovels, metal rods to poke and dig up the yard, um, searching the property inside, outside for any evidence. Regarding this case, they're just looking for freaking anything. The most that they walked away with was the dad's like daily planner and his personal com computer. But that was really all they got. And it led to not much not much. So they just destroy the family's house and then they get out of there. And then not long after the police do the same exact thing uh, at the Calpo family home. But with them, nothing was found and nothing was taken during their search. So they came, they caused chaos, and then they just left with nothing. I don't know what they were looking for. They didn't tell the families what they were looking for. They just said it was regarding the case. And then that was it, it was weird. It was random and weird. Cause it's like, why all of a sudden now did they do that? Probably more rumors, I would assume. So after all of these searches in November of 2007, all three guys are arrested again. They're arrested again on suspicion of manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in the death of Natalie. I don't know. I really don't know. They just, I don't know. They just kept doing it. They weren't in jail for long though. A judge ordered that the Calpo brothers and Yoan be released because they still had no direct evidence that Natalie uh, passed away from a violent crime in general. So they're like, you know, 
no, we can't keep doing this. And yeah, it's frustrating because it's like, I believe that they're involved somehow, but they can't seem to get anything. So finally the prosecution, they had to give up. And on December 18th, it was officially declared that the case was closed and no charges would be filed due to lack of no evidence. There was nothing. They got nothing. And they spent a majority of their funding, police funding. So yeah, just because the police were gonna stop you know, their search, whatever. Natalie's parents were not giving up. Natalie's dad, Dave, remember? Not the stepdad, her dad. He refused to give up and he decided to have his own search for his daughter. So he ends up hiring a private investigator and his name was like Tim, Tim Miller. And hopefully this private investigator can uncover something, right? This Tim guy, he goes back out to Aruba. He starts his search in different landfills, but at some point, he, the Tim guy, he was approached by a police chief who told him that he should be searching three to five miles out in the sea. He's like, you shouldn't be searching here. You should be searching out in the sea. He's like, what, how do, why are you telling me that? Okay. So Tim gets further information that the day that Natalie went missing, a metal and wire fish trap had been stolen from a fisherman, a local fisherman that night. It just wasn't made like public. Something funky's going on, right? Some kind of funky ass cover up is happening. Well, Tim is like, well, that's new. That's new. Haven't heard that one yet. So Tim starts studying water currents along the Aruban coast and he figures out um, where this trap might be, like where it might have floated off to based off of the water currents. Cool. So he hires a boat to take him out in the ocean and capture sonar images of the ocean floor, hoping to find freaking something, right? Anything, anything, anything. So they go out on this boat and of course, like nothing is being found. A couple of days are passing. It's getting frustrated. Cause it's like, how are we finding nothing? He did his little math, his water currents. He should be finding something, anything. And then on the sonar, beep, beep thing, you know, Beep, beep, beep. It showed an image of a large trap right in an area where he kind of figured it might be. Ooh, uh, yeah. So Tim was like, holy shit tits. This might be it, this might be it. He's looking closer on the images and he sees what he believes to be a human skull. This Tim guy, he calls up Natalie's father. He's like, I think I found something. Like we're gonna go down tomorrow, getting his hopes all up because he thinks he found something. Well, the next day, a diver goes down only to discover that there were no human remains in this trap. There was a trap, but there were no human remains. It was a false alarm and another freaking dead end. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's many of these, there's many of these. This is just only a small fraction of the dead ends. So once again, after months of finding nothing, Natalie's father runs out of funding and he ends the search in February of 2008. Sadly, that must be so frustrating. Cause it's like, where is she? Like, where is she? Then in January, 2008, a Dutch crime reporter claims that he solved Natalie's case, but for reals this time, he's like, I did it, I solved the mystery. And on February 3rd, he's like, I'm gonna do a, a, a tell all on Dutch television. So he's trying to get some views, you know? So this reporter said that Johan made a confession and he has it on tape. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the tell-all goes live. 
And what they did was they had this hidden camera footage that was taken in some guy's car. His name was Patrick. He's like this businessman. He's an ex-convict and he, he befriended Yolan and gained his trust, right? So they became friends. Now one night, uh, this Patrick guy picks Yolan up and they're hanging out in his car, hidden camera recording. Yolan doesn't know. Great. Yolan starts talking to Patrick about the night that Natalie went missing. Now he's telling Patrick that they had sex and then afterwards Natalie started convulsing, starts convulsing, she's shaking and, and then she's unresponsive. Yolan said that he tried to revive her, but he couldn't. So he calls a friend he's like, what do I do? And the friend tells him to go home and the friend says, I'll take care of the body. Yolan doesn't say who the friend is, he wants like money to say who the friend is, I believe, yes. Probably one of the, the Kolpak brothers or whatever, just an assumption, I don't know. So this footage was presented to the judge in order to get another arrest warrant for Yolan, and the judge says no, because the tapes were not enough proof to arrest Yolan. I don't know, I mean, you think it would be, right? That actually sounds like that's probably what happened, right? That sounds like, okay, that sounds like that could happen. That. That might've happened, I don't know. Okay, but the judge is like, no, you can't arrest him, whatever. It's not enough evidence. So Yoan afterwards speaks with investigators and they're questioning him like, have you seen this videotape of yourself? Look what you said. You said some shit, tell us about it. And Yoan is denying what he said on the tape was true. He, Yoan says that he was hanging out with this Patrick guy, they were high and he was just telling the guy what he wanted to hear because he kept asking about it and finally, he just told them what he wanted to hear, but it wasn't true. So just, okay, uh, mm -hmm, okay, what do you do? I don't know, I don't know. If this Yoan guy is innocent, let's just say he was innocent, he has the worst luck ever, does he not? Wow, it's weird how everything keeps coming back to him. This would not be the last time that Yoan confesses to killing Natalie and then takes it back. He does this numerous times, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. You wanna punch him in the face. Because in one of the times in November of 2008, a Fox News um, interview airs with Yoan and he's mentioning that what really happened, he confesses again. He's like, I have confession. He says that he sold Natalie into sex slavery and that he was paid for the sale, but he had to stay quiet about it. He also told the interviewer that uh, the police found out that Natalie was taken and they knew about what happened and Yoan's father paid them off to keep quiet. Yoan was even like, I have, I have a phone recording from my father that confirms uh, I sold her into sex slavery. And they listened to the phone recording and Yoan's father saying something like, you know, you can't be doing this, selling her into sex slavery, like what are we gonna do? Something along that, but then, Upon further investigation, it was Yoan on the phone recording pretending to be his dad. Yeah, he was just doing the most. He was doing the most, okay? So then Yoan, he tells uh, he tells the media, oh, I was just kidding, like I made up that statement. I just wanted to sell it to the media. I need some money. Yeah, just what is going on? I wish I could say that was the last time, but this douche canoe, he just keeps it going. So as the years go on, Natalie's parents dedicate their lives to trying to figure out what happened to their daughter. Sad, they just want answers, they just want closure. Like that's 
just really sad. And instead they keep getting toyed around. They go back out to Aruba, searching, looking, no new leads. They do this numerous times throughout the years, um, but nothing new was ever found. And then on March 29th, 2010, Yoan reaches out to Natalie's mom's legal team with an offer. He tells the legal team, I'll tell you where your daughter's body is and how she died if you pay me $250,000. Well, the lawyer was like, well, I'll give you some money up front and then we'll give you the rest after we find her body. And Yoan was like, deal. So on May 10th, they wired him $15,000 ahead of time. And then when they get to Aruba, they give him $10,000 in cash. So Yoan meets with the lawyer, okay, and takes him to the location where it all went down, which was like on the beach. So Yuan tells the, the lawyer like, at this spot right here, I, I, I picked Natalie up and then she demanded that, like I put her down, like he physically picked her up. She's like, put me down, put me down. So instead of just like putting her down, he, I guess, throws her down. She ends up hitting her head on a rock and she was killed instantly by the impact. So that's what Yoan is saying, you know? Then Yoan told a lawyer that he took Natalie's body to a nearby home and his father buried the body under the home's foundation. It sounds possible, right? Like that kind of sounds like something that could happen. Honestly, by the way his father was acting, he kind of seemed like he was involved. So again, it just, it kind of makes sense. It like, okay, that could be it, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter, the story didn't matter because shortly after the meetup, the lawyer gets an email from Yoan, like, oh, LOL. The story was, the whole story was a lie. He made it all up. Send. I made that shit up. LOL, JK. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I can't imagine what the parents are just exhausted. Exhausted. So the whole thing's a lie. Now, by the time they find out that this whole story's a lie, Yoan, he takes the money that he already got and he runs off to Peru. He's like, bye, peace. Now, luckily, Natalie's parents and like the lawyer and all that, they were kind of smart about this. They knew Yoan wasn't very reliable and they made sure to loop in the FBI as to like what was going on, what they were gonna do, giving the money and all that stuff. And they let them know from the start about this Yoan thing. So they taped the whole money exchange between Yoan and the lawyers and all that stuff and also confirmed that the story Yoan told them was indeed false because when they looked into the house that Yoan claimed Natalie was buried under, this house hadn't been built near or around the time frame of her disappearance and like it just, it didn't add up. It didn't add up. Because of this, Natalie's family was able to charge Jordan with extortion and wire fraud. So the United States District Court of Northern Alabama charged Jordan, uh, not Jordan, Yoan, but it's spelled like Jordan. Nah, it doesn't matter. The United States District Court of Northern Alabama charged Yoan with extortion and wire fraud. It's not murder, you know, but at least it's something they have hard concrete evidence for that they can lock them up for because that shit's fucked up. He kept toying with them. Mm-mm, good. He, yeah, he was charged. But in order to actually charge him, he needs to come to the United States. Right now, he's in Peru. So, yeah. Five years go by. 
a woman by the name of Stephanie Flores is reported missing. Now, Stephanie was a 21-year-old business school student and the daughter of a presidential candidate. You know, she's like kind of a, a very important person. I guess she had met Yoan at a casino in Peru and it turned out that they had something in common. They both loved cocaine. Great. So they head up to Yoan's room, do a little sniffy whiffy. And while Yoan is in the bathroom, I guess he gets really paranoid and he convinces himself that the, this girl, Stephanie, was secretly part of the FBI and she was like spying on him, trying to get uh, some information about the Natalie case. So he's all sorts of paranoid. He attacks. Well, three days later, Stephanie, she was found beaten to death in a hotel room and her body was just left there. And when they looked up who the hotel room was under, they come across the name Yoan van der Schloot. Yoan, Yoan's dumbass. At this point, Yoan, he fled again to Chile, but when he was in Chile, he was finally arrested. Yoan admitted to what he did, saying that he lost his temper with Stephanie. I guess she like used his laptop without asking him first. And while he was in the bathroom, she discovered that he was linked to the Natalie Holloway disappearance. She like came across it and that this pushed him over the edge. So he beat her until she was dead, took money that she had just won at the casino that night, and then he fled. Yoan pled guilty to Stephanie's murder. And then on January 11th, 2012, Yoan was sentenced to 28 years behind bars. 28 years. So in March of 2014, it was announced that Yoan, after he finished his sentence in Peru, he would be sent to the United States to face his punishment for his crimes of extortion. So at least they're they're getting some, I don't know. It still sucks though, cause they have yet to find what happened to Natalie. Over the years, Natalie's mom, Beth, she founded the International Safe Travels Foundation, which is a nonprofit, which helps to educate and inform the public to help them travel more safely as they travel internationally. And on June 8th, 2010, the Natalie Holloway Resource Center, which aids families of missing people, opened in Washington, DC. That's nice. It still sucks. It's like hard to be positive. It's like, yeah, that's nice. But at the end of the day, like it still sucks. In April of 2006, Natalie's dad, Dave, he published a book about his search for his daughter. There is so much more. There's, there's a lot. We could, there's a lot with that one because uh, they were trying to make a TV series out of Dave's book and searching for his daughter, but it just went like south. It was really bad and it didn't end well. They still haven't found her, but I'm just gonna gloss over that because there's just a lot. It gets real confusing. I mean, this story just never ends though. Yuan would be getting out of jail in 2038. And then that's when he will, he'll be sent to uh, the US to face his extortion trial. So in 2038, we'll be seeing her name again. That's so sad. They just want closure. It's like they can't freaking get it. In 2016, Yoan, I guess he confessed again. I know, it's exhausting. I'm telling you, there's a ton of confessions this man made. He said that like, he takes responsibility for what he did, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know, it just means nothing. You know, it just means nothing at this point. I think all they wanna know is like, at, 
at this point, like, where is, where are her remains? Because it's like, we don't even want a fucking confession out of you anymore. We've had enough. We had enough of your blabbing. We don't want it anymore. That's really where the story stays. What happened to Natalie? We may never freaking know the truth. I mean, who, I don't know. Who knows? Unless, what's his name? Yoan wants to confess again. But he's given so many confessions that no one believes him at this point. He's like the boy who cried wolf. He needs to actually like prove it with something. But who knows if he ever will? I don't, I don't know. I just hope that, you know, Natalie's family, hopefully they get justice, find closure and peace and are just still able to move forward. And it's just so sad because it's like, what happened? With no answers, gosh, that just leaves like such a hole in your heart, you know? Anywho, yeah, so that's the that's the light version of the Natalie Holloway story. I would highly suggest if you're more interested into knowing the, more about it. Actually, I don't know where you could look because we found information all over the place. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, this is just a light version. There's so many different confessions and people who come forward saying that they saw her, who didn't, but they were all dead ends. It's like, who dropped the ball on this one, police? I don't know. Doesn't someone know something? Doesn't someone want to talk? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know with this one. I don't know. Maybe one day find out what happened. But for now, that's where it's at, sadly. I just hope the families, I hope Natalie's family is able to, has been moving forward and doing their best, you know? I think for the most part, Yoan is like, he's gotta be involved somehow. It's just a matter of what happened and where did they, cause I'm assuming there's help, where did they put her? You know, it's just bizarre, all of it. Oh, you wanna hear a fun fact? It's really not a fun fact actually, but I found it interesting. Natalie Holloway's mother, she ended up getting a divorce from her second husband. I'm sure like this probably caused so much strain on the relationship, but they, they got a divorce. So Beth Holloway, the mom, she started dating John Ramsey. Yeah, what's his, John Benet Ramsey's dad? They started dating for a while. Isn't that something? Wow, where are the odds of that? That's like a, wow, wow, okay. It kind of makes sense. Like that's a very unique loss that I'm sure is really hard to, to understand and relate to with anybody especially when there's no answers and both of them never got answers. <gasps> it makes sense, it makes sense. I don't think they are dating anymore, but I just thought that was interesting. I thought I'd share it. Anyways, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Make good choices. Please be safe out there. Look out for your friends. Don't leave them alone places or let them go off in cars with strangers. Just don't. Or at least take down a license plate if you do. How about that? Okay, bye guys. Have a good day. Bye.